Go ahead and have a seat, guys. Besides Jane, so I was just staring at the men. Blame it on James. Easy. Connor's not here again, guys. Here you go. That works for me. Cool. Well, yeah, so my name is Patrick. I am one of the interns that you guys have helped support here for this summer. Um, for me, I am not saying goodbye quite yet. I still have a little under three weeks here. But I do want to echo what my fiance had said of just thank you guys for the hospitality. Thank you guys for welcoming us into the church, into your own homes. It's, it's been amazing, and honestly, we have not quite experienced it to this level in a long time. And, and this is something that I think Grand Rapids does such a phenomenal job with, and it's part of what we're going to be talking about today, and it's this element of family. But before we dive into that, um, if you guys are tuning in for the first time today, we are part of a series called Treasuring God. And two weeks ago, Ben spoke about treasuring the word and how it applies to our lives and how we should treasure it. And continuing in that series, we're going to be talking about treasuring community. And a little segue, right? Family and community. And even in me saying these two words, I realize that community and family have a lot of different meanings for different people. We all have grown up in different backgrounds and different families. Some of us have this awesome family. Well, some of us, like myself included, come from divorced family backgrounds, right? And community is tricky. And so I want to define it first. Like, what is this thing that we call community? Because there's a, multiple different things that, that we can view community as. Perhaps you go to Scripture and you're like, okay, there's a couple verses about community. Maybe it's Hebrews 10.23 where it talks about encouraging one another daily. Or maybe the classic Acts 2.42 through 46 where it talks about being together, breaking bread, sharing everything in common. Maybe you want to go a little bit Old Testament and you turn to the Proverbs and you talk about wisdom and being in community. And plans fail when we have a lack of counsel. Right? It's just talking about community. That's what it, it boils down to. Maybe you didn't think at all about the Bible, and that's honestly kind of where I went. And I went to the literal, like, dictionary definition of what does it mean to be in community or have it. And I found two definitions that really fit. And it's a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. And guys, I don't know why, but the, the dictionary like, example that it gave me was a group of nuns. Like, why a group of nuns? I have, I have no idea, but sure, it fits. The other one was a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing a common attitude, interest, or goal. And no matter what you look at this definition of community, whether it's the dictionary definition or it's the actual on the other side, oh, it's this Bible verse there's an underlying theme that is being unified in something. Now, we can, we can 
change what we're unified in. Sports is a great example of that. Go to a different state and you can have a different NFL team or concerts or books or even the workplace. It's, it's being unified in what you're doing as a vocation. And community is something that we so often overlook because we, we understand what it is, but it's also such a foreign concept to us. Like, we understand it, we know what it means, and I, I like to call this like a head and heart disconnect. Like, I know what it means, but it's different for me to feel involved in a community. And, and part of what I mean by that, and I'm sure Ben has not mentioned this at all, is the idea of like an individual versus collectivist culture. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I know, right? This is, this is one of the earliest conversations I think I've ever had with Ben of like the differences in church culture and individualistic versus kind of a communal culture. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, the best example that we can see from this is how we marry. Like, I am marrying Morgan, and nobody, like, I was like, okay, Morgan's the person I want to marry, so I'm, I'm going to pursue that relationship. In a collectivist culture, those marriages are arranged, oftentimes from a parent, or I know, like, disciplers in India have done this too. And that's a perfect example of collectivist culture. It's, it's community. And this is something that, that we miss here in the States because we live in this individualistic lifestyle. And we don't really have to look far to see it. And so today I want to look at the, the, what the Bible has to say about community, but more importantly, why we should treasure it. Because that's the point of the series, is, is why, why do we want and desire this thing called community when it's really, really messy? And I think Paul lays this out beautifully in his letters to the church. And so the first verse that I want to look at is in 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 20. And to give a little bit of context, in the first half of this chapter, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. And he's saying, oh, if you have the gift of preaching, then preach. If you have the gift of faith, then be faithful. And he's saying that it's all connected to one thing, and that thing is the Lord. And he uses this next example as parts of the body. And picking up in verse 14, it says, Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for the reason, stop being a part of the body. Continuing, it says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed these parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. And if I'm honest, reading this verse is really convicting because of how challenging it is. And it's, it's really for two reasons. One, and the underlying theme of it, is it, it pokes my pride, as Ben has talked about for several weeks now. The Bible has a way of poking our pride. And, and this for me, I read it, and I'm like, what do you mean I can't be multiple parts of the body? Like, I can't be the hand, I can't be the whole arm? Like, oh, I, I can just be the right hand, not the left? 
And, and part of why I, I, I wrestle with this is because I want to think of myself more highly of like, oh, I'm capable of doing more things. But what that does is that undermines the diversity within the community that we've been so blessed to have, that there is different gifts, as mentioned in the beginning of chapter 12, or different parts of the body that were unified and unique. And that's something to be celebrated, not rejected because of that uniqueness. But the second reason that I, I really wrestle with this is because it exposes my deep need for people. And if I'm honest, I don't, I don't like that. I, I don't want to need people. I, don't, I never have. I never will. This is something that I fight daily to see my need for people. And maybe you guys are, are with me and like, okay, yeah, I don't, really, I don't really see my need for people. And something has humbled me out so quick in this. And if you, if you ever want to see a need for somebody else, I'd really encourage you to do this. Just lock your keys in your car, right? And for, for whatever reason, like, when you lock your keys in your car, like, you're always either about to go and do something in a rush for something. It just happens at the worst time ever. And I've been fortunate where I have only ever locked my keys in my car two times in the span of, of me driving. And the first is when I was in high school, I was working a Saturday morning shift at, basically, it was an event tear down and set up. I had just gotten off, and I was getting something out of the trunk of my car, and I set my keys down. And somewhere in, in the midst of it, I'm still not quite sure how it happened. Maybe I knocked my keys into the trunk of my car, but I slammed the trunk closed, and my keys are nowhere to be found, only for me to realize, oh, they must have fallen into the trunk of my car, which is now locked. And so at the time, I had a spare key, but I, I hadn't given it to anybody. I'd actually like hidden it in my room. I don't know why I chose to hide it. It was just kind of there. And I knew at that point that, okay, I, I couldn't call anybody to go and get my spare key. So I, I proceeded to, to run, walk the next three or four miles back to my house to go and get the key and then run or walk back the next three or four miles to where I worked to go unlock my car. So that's, that's the first instance of me locking my keys in the car. Now, the second happens about four years later. I, as many of you guys know, and I'm still in college, I'm in nursing school, and I had woken up at 5.30 in the morning for an early clinical. And this is in, like, the Indiana winters, which, from what I've heard, are not as bad as the Michigan winters, but it's still just as icy. And so I had, yeah, mild. I had, I had put, put my keys in my car to, you know, turn on the, the heat so my windshield could defrost, right? I'm sure all of you guys are familiar with this. And for whatever reason, again, I'm not quite sure it happens, and I'm convinced that nobody quite knows why they lock their keys or how they lock their keys in their car. But I close the door, and I'm out doing my thing, and 10, 15 minutes roll by, and so I, I open the door, and I'm tugging on the door, and I'm like, okay, maybe it's frozen shut. So I go to the next one, and I'm pulling on the door. And guys, this is like maybe five, ten minutes of me like yanking pretty hard on this door. Longer than I would like to admit. And I realized I have locked my keys in my car yet again four years later. This time, something was a little bit different. I had given my spare key to my fiancé. 
And so at the time we were dating, I hadn't proposed. And so I, I called her. She's a teacher, usually up early in the morning. And so I call her, and I'm like, hey, can, can, can you swing by and bring the key so I can get the car unlocked? And she lives about 20 minutes away. And, and before I go on, I, I talked to her about this. And she said, yes, I can, I can share this. She's even laughing now. And she said, no, sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting ready for work. I'm like, what, well, wait, what do you mean? No, I have to be in the hospital in like 10 minutes. Like, I, I, can, you, can you come like help? Like, I, I need your help. Like, can you, can you bring my key? No, sorry, I, I, can't, I can't get, I'm getting ready for work. This is the earliest I'll ever be. Like, I'm really excited. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, I need your help. I just locked my keys in the car. And, and it, it was this back and forth and back and forth. And, and, and eventually, I'm like, OK, whatever. I'm just I'm going to walk to the hospital. I, a lot of walking in the, these stories. I realize this now. But sure enough, Morgan eventually, after some time on the phone, some back and forth, some, some bumps, as we so lovingly call it, um, she comes by, she picks up my car key, gives it to a roommate, and I go about my day. And my point in telling this story is community and relying on people is messy. Like, Morgan had let me down in that moment. And oftentimes, when, when we have people in our lives, family or not, even in the church community, people can let us down. But even after being let down, it's still easier to work through the mess than to walk eight miles to and from your car to grab a car key and unlock it. It's actually working through that mess that God has been able to bless us with community because we're able to work through those differences and to love each other in spite of it. And this is deeply unsettling to me. Because again, I don't want people. But in the same regard, I, would, I, I, I still want Morgan a part of my life. And she was able to help me unlock my car. And once we allow ourselves to need people, the Bible does something like rather transformative in our lives. And that's what I want to look at in Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. And this verse, I'm convinced I have read wrong almost my entire life. Um, and the reason is because I have taken how I view culture and this, this radical individualism and read it almost into the Bible. And I don't think that's wrong, but I think we have to be careful with that. And in Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, it says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. And so most of my life, I, I read this, and I'm like, okay, great. Like, I should not be angry. And if I am, don't let, don't, like, I should not go to sleep on that anger. Let the sun go down. That's going to be divisive in my life, and it's going to give the devil a foothold into the own, like, recesses of my heart. It, it was a level of being personally pious, but it's, I don't think this is what this verse is quite saying. And, it, and it's, not, it's not bad to view it this way, but we have to look at the context around the rest of the verse, or even just read another translation of it. This is the NIV version, and I, I love the NIV, but the ESV reads a little bit different. It says, be angry and do not sin. So a little bit different even from the get-go. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. 
So in the NIV, it says, in your anger. In the ESV, it says, be angry. It's a condition versus a command. And so what, what one is it? Like, we're supposed to wrestle with scripture. What one is it? And I don't know about you guys, but my, my Greek and Hebrew is not up to par of what it probably should be. And by what I mean by that, it's non-existent. But we, we don't need to understand Greek or Hebrew. We can just read the bookends of the verses. Because this is smack dab in the middle of something that is in deep community. If we read in verse 25, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not be sinful. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And do not let the devil give a foothold. And then picking up again, it says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. So in the first half, we have falsehood to truth, and then we have this, this verse about be angry and, and what to do in your anger, but not giving the devil foothold. And then we continue again, and it says, don't steal, but produce. Work, it be giving. And this is, this is all about community. It's... And it's not that these things are, are bad, or these things are bad. These things are, are sinful, right? Stealing is a sin. Lying is one. A, a personal anger to the point of where we hate the sinner as well as the sin is also a sin. But the thing that I find so fascinating is it's not that these things are just bad, but it betrays the community that God is so desperately trying to build. And, and this, is, this is how we should interact with, with one another and each other. By, by leaving sin unaddressed in our lives, especially in our own lives, but also the lives of our brothers and sisters, it's giving the devil a foothold. And what Paul is writing here is we should hate the sin but love the sinner. It's a reflection of how we love people and how in loving people, we want our community to be strong. And I think this is summarized perfectly in a book by Joseph Hellerman called When the Church Was a Family. And this is not spoiling the book. This is literally the first couple of sentence, sentences to the introduction of this book. And it says, Spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. People who remain connected with their brothers and sisters in their local church almost invariably grow in self-understanding and they mature in their ability to relate in healthy ways to God and to their fellow human beings. And so this is a really powerful and impactful quote because I think it, it captures what community, when it's done well, should look like. It takes spiritual formation and it kicks it to overdrive. But it's not, it's not just spiritual formation. It's just not spiritual maturity. It's how we interact with one another. It's, it's how we interact with fellow people, how we love up on other people, how we deal with sin in our lives and the lives of our brothers and sisters. And in short, this leads us to our second point of what community does, is community spurs on spiritual formation. As Christians, the community should spur one another on towards spiritual formation and how we address sin, but also how we love people. 
because the, the, the catch to this verse is if we're, if we're angry about the sinner, we are also being divisive in the community. Like, we're also giving the devil a foothold. It's about a righteous indignation, not one of personal indignation. And if, if we want to grow spiritually, like, I don't want you guys to mishear this. Like, yes, I want you to be personal in your relational time in reading the Bible, in personal meditation, in understanding of Scripture, in prayer. Like, times of solitude are great. Jesus goes out for times of solitude to commune with the Father. But he also comes back to a community. And that's, that's something that I think that, that I can be guilty of, where I'm like, okay, I'm doing well spiritually because I'm, I'm reading my Bible daily, my prayer life is consistent, and I'm doing all of these things individually really, really well, but I, I very, very rarely reflect on how I am doing and how I am helping the community that I claim to be a part of. And, and this leads into to my final point as we close today, is community is something to be sought after. And guys, seeking something out is so much harder than to have someone seek like you out because it, it requires so much more work. Like I can't be alone in, in thinking like this is exhausting. Like if, I, if I'm seeking somebody out, if I'm seeking community, this makes me tired. But, but Paul speaks to this in, in Romans. And, and before we, we get into that, when we, when we treasure community, like, I don't think we quite, we quite grasp this. And I think the people who actually grasp this the best are, like, children, like, especially, like, little kids. And, and what I mean by that is, like, I, so I was, I was going through cleaning some stuff out of my, my closet, my old bedroom, at my mom's, and I had these, like, big blue totes, and I would, like, get through the totes and find stuff that I had had as kids. And my mom's like, oh, this is, this is so cute. You had this when you were like three or four years old. And I'm like, okay, trash. Okay, give this away. Okay. And uh, okay, yeah, th- there's the nostalgia. And my, I know my mom, I, I'm sure she's watching this, is going to crack up just in me telling the differences in this. But once I get kind of towards the bottom of, of one of these blue bins, there's this old beat up like blue angel like little airplane. It's probably about this big, like really tiny. And I, I, I didn't remember at all what this is. And my mom, being an awesome mom that she is, says, oh, you carried that around as a kid everywhere. Like everywhere you went, you always carried this thing. And in my head, I'm like, why a metal plane? But whatever, it was a metal plane, and I, I treasured it to the point where, like, I was distraught when I didn't have it, where I had misplaced it, and my mom will tell the story where she, like, actually carried an extra one in her purse, so, like, if we couldn't find it, and, like, I, I, and I'm, like, breaking down in the middle of a store or a blockbuster, I don't know why that pops into my head, but it, it has happened, she pulls it out, oh, here it is, and gives it to me. And, and I think that this is, this is the heart of this desire, this reveling in the treasure that is community that Paul addresses in Romans 1, 8 through 12. And picking up there, it says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I am served in my spirit, 
um, sorry, in my spirit, in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last by God will be the way may be opened for me to come to you. And then this is the part I want to focus on. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, you and I be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. And Paul has this, this same desperation, this, this same desire for community, this, this longing that, that we don't use the word longing all that often, but it's, it's this deep desire, this conviction. It's like the, the, I, we have a lot of young parents here when your kids go through this, this phase of almost separation anxiety where you hand them off to somebody else and then they're like, where's my mom, where's my dad? Like that's the type of longing that Paul is, is desiring here, that, that he wants to be in the midst of a church that is messy. I don't know if you've read the book of Romans, but it, it's chock full of division. It's chock full of mess. And Paul's like, I want to be there. I want to be in the middle of it. And why do I want to be in the middle of it? Is to be encouraging and to build you up, but also so that I too may be filled up. And I think that, that we, we, can, we can so easily brush aside community and what reveals our heart about community is often when we leave it, when we, when we don't have it anymore, whether it's because of like a family vacation or moving to a new city or fill in the blank reason why. It doesn't matter why. When community is taken from us, it reveals our heart behind how we actually felt about the community that we were in. And in the same way, like the little blue angel toy that I had, when it was gone, I realized how devastated I was without it. And we, we should treat community the same way because it's, it's a spiritual gift that is used for being built up to be strong and mutually encouraged by one another. And so my, my closing charge, my, my last little question that I want you guys to not just reflect on, but also like it's supposed to kind of push the snowball at the, at the edge of the hill to get the ball rolling, is this one right here. What can I do this week to build community? Because it, community is an active thing. It's not passive. It doesn't just happen. And it involves work. And so as we reflect on these things, what can I do this week to build community? And it doesn't matter with who. The point is that you're trying, that you are actively involving one another in each other's lives. And that's the thing to be treasured with community. Community is, is something that exposes a deep need for people. Community is also something that spurs on spiritual formation, no matter how painful that may be. And community is also something to be sought after rather than to have community seek after me. And so that's all I have today. I'm going to close this out in a word of prayer. Ben is going to come back up for communion, and then we will have some announcements.
hey, God, I just want to thank you for the gift that is community, that we can belong to you, that you are at the head of this community, but that we can also belong to one another, that we can be uplifted, that we can be encouraged, that we can be disappointed, but then also come back and work out our differences to revel in what it means to be a Christian. That this is something that is so powerful, something that is a gift that we so often overlook, Father. And I just pray that we can go out in the week to see how we can meet needs, how we can continue to build up a community that has even supported Morgan and I in ways that we just so appreciate. Father, I thank you for this gift. I say this in your name and pray. Amen.